Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. This is match week 14. I know I say this every week, but this season is really flying by. Uh, I am back with my co-host and brother Ethan. How's it going? And this week, like the Premier League recently, the just Mercury's been in retrograde. I'm telling every single week, there's some kind of game that just defies all logic. <laughs> and this week did not disappoint whatsoever. I mean, I shouldn't say it defies all logic because when Man City and Tottenham play, it's utter chaos 100% of the time. And mm. we got nothing short of that this week from that game. Um, <clears throat> quietly, one of the top three games of the season so far in Liverpool Fulham. I don't know if you caught that one. That was absolutely crazy. Not to mention a five goal thriller for Bornley. Bornley? What the fuck? <laughs> Burnley <laughs> <laughs> um, and Chelsea and Brighton had a five goal thriller more red cards to go around as per usual this year Arsenal two points clear um, yeah match week 14 did not dis- disappoint necessarily no and it it very rarely does does it <laughs> uh, but before we get into all that uh, there was some shenanigans at the Euro 2024 draw to be honest, they did a poor job marketing this because I didn't know that it was happening until I accidentally <laughs> flicked on Fox Sports looking for college basketball games. And somehow I was like, oh shit, the Euro 2024 draws on. So I watched it. And yes, this happened. Take it away, Ethan. Yeah, so for some reason there always seems to be some anecdotal bullshit that goes on at these uh, drawings. And this well, time was no the different. Exact, the, draw, the draw itself is like 10 minutes. But the event uh-huh. is two and a half hours, so yeah. they leave themselves a lot of time for <laughs> shenanigans. Continue. Yeah. Uh, very good point there. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the shenanigans did take place during the actual draw um, because somebody managed to very easily get into the UEFA um, you know, venue, which, again, doesn't look good on UEFA after what happened at the 2022 Champions League final with all their security issues. Yeah. So they really got to start addressing <laughs> that. Um, but anyway, so somebody got in and real simple prank. They just started playing sex noises during the drawing and David Silva tried to keep as cool as that was going on. Um, after doing some, you know, digging, uh, not that much digging because, you know, the guy, the guy took credit for it. Um, the guy named uh, Daniel Jarvis, who actually did a similar prank during the BBC Match of the Day coverage of the Liverpool Wolves FA Cup match. You may have seen that earlier this year. Did the same sex noise prank. And initially I found this thing pretty funny, but then I realized that this guy just like does this for like a living. And most of the stuff he does is just like pitch invasions, which I'm really... You know, a, a lot of people glorify pitch invasions, and mm. personally, I think it's like really stupid. And is pitch be. invasions really a fruitful line of work? Um, I don't really know, but this guy is like nearly forty. He's got like a receding hairline. Like, if it, if <laughs> at first I thought this guy, you know, was like you know early twenties, just you know, fucking around, Good but like, sure. come on, dude, like, get a job. <laughs> uh, but yeah, not not too much more to say here. You know, we just always want to bring you the most. Absolutely important information going on in the world of football. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe we'll talk about the actual year 2024 draw in here. Um, yeah, no, we should some, uh, because there are some good matchups. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember there was one like semi group of death, and it's usually hard to come by in the Euros because like there's always like England and then like Albania or something. So like mm-hmm. usually the pots are like pretty you know, up and down the, the footballing spectrum because there are so many teams and, you know, a limited amount of teams in, in the continent. But there was, if I remember correctly, I don't remember the groups exactly. Yeah. It was, I think the group of death you're thinking Spain, about Croatia, is Italy. Spain, Croatia, Italy. Yeah. yeah. Spain, Croatia, Italy. Spain, I think yeah, Albania Spain, Croatia, is that one. Yeah, Albania uh, is the fourth. That unfortunate but that's, yeah, soul. That's, that's a toughie. Um, that means one of Spain, Croatia, or Italy is going out? Or is there like a wild card? No, because it's just uh, it's a 2014 tournament, so I think half the groups get. There's groups 13. of three, huh? There's groups of three. No, it's groups of four, but then half of the oh, groups right. get a third team. Yeah, yeah. So okay, no, okay. I I see groups of three, but they they're playoff teams. That yeah, are, playoffs uh, entered. Yeah. yeah. Um, Romania snuck in there. Good for Romania. 
Didn't realize they had that in them. Uh, Netherlands, Austria, France. That's not a necessarily a, an easy yeah. group either. They're they're getting a playoff team that could be end up being like Sweden, right? Something something like that. I don't think Sweden's even in it. They're not in the in the playoffs. You know what? Let's look at, let's look that up. Euro twenty twenty four playoff. There's a bunch of teams. I think three groups have a playoff of like four teams for that final spot. So yeah, Poland, Wales, Israel, Bosnia and Herzegovina, uh, Finland, Ukraine, Iceland, Georgia, Greece, Kazakhstan, Luxembourg, and somehow Estonia are still in the running for one of three Euro 2024 spots. I mean, stick Poland in that group, and that's pretty that's pretty difficult. Ukraine yeah. too, they're no pushover. Um, Iceland love a love a Euro competition. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that should be fun this summer. Looking forward to that. No more, uh, winter tournaments. (laughs) And with that, we'll move on to some match week 14 coverage, starting off with Chelsea three, Brighton Hove Albion two. The goals coming from Enzo Fernandez in the 17th. I believe it's his first Premier League goal. I Um, do believe it is. Swiftly. A Levi Colwell second. I think it's his first Premier League goal as well. Oh, maybe not first yeah, Premier is. League goal. He might have had it one. Is his is first it? Prem goal. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely his first goal at Chelsea. Um, and then Buena Not with a pretty pretty spicy goal in the forty third. Um, Connor Gallagher gets a red card in the forty fifth because there has to be red cards in the Premier League this year mm-hmm. by default. Uh, Enzo Fernandez gets a sixty fifth minute penalty. For some insurance, Zhao Pedro gets a late consolation, and that's how it would end three to two. Brighton's pretty poor form actualized again. They won their last game, but draw the th- drew the three before that, and Chelsea a decent win at home against Brighton team that usually puts up a fight. I mean, now's a good time to play Brighton. Um, and you're certainly not complaining for playing Brighton now versus the form they were in to start the season with all their injuries and Stupinon still out and Marsh still out, all that, uh, quality they're missing. Um, but three points to three points for Chelsea. Yeah. This game seemed almost representative of, a marginal shift in the trajectory of these clubs. It seems like Chelsea is finally starting to get some gradual growth. And for Brighton, it seems like almost a gradual decline. I mean, this is Chelsea's first win against Brighton in the last six matchups. So big uh, hump that Chelsea have gone over in this game. And Brighton, yeah. I mean, you mentioned some of the you know, the injuries. No March, no Stupion, key players, of course. Um, and they also uh brought Gross and Matoma off the bench for this one, maybe rested after the uh mm. Europa League game on Thursday. Um but the thing with that was the staple of Brighton last season is no matter who they lost, either by means of transfer or injury, you know, they still performed. They still, you know, found somebody and uh and they still have, you know, good depth and they still have good players out there. So you know, I'm not really gonna make too many excuses for Brain's decline in form here, especially some of the games that they did mm-hmm. drop. I mean, the draw Sheffield yeah. United and Fulham, I think, has been, you know, within like the yeah. last five, six games. So, you know, no matter who's out there, you really should be winning those. So, yeah, yeah a, bit, a bit of concern for Brain. Still very early on in the season. And like you said, there is still, you have to feel for them a little bit with injuries. Mm-hmm. You know, not every, not every mm-hmm. team can withstand injuries for mm-hmm. so long like Brighton did. Yeah. So they deserve a little bit of patience and certainly deserve yeah. deserves that too. Yeah. Um to talk about Chelsea for a second, uh I praised Pochettino last week for kind of sticking with the same eleven and letting them grow. And then he comes in this week and starts Mudrick over Palmer and I don't know if I don't know. I really don't know the injuries here, but assuming it's just a, a rotation, he drops Mujic for Palmer, drops... Um, <clears throat> oh, I guess he's not on the bench. I was going to say Kukurea, but 
He's not even on the bench. Kukure got was injured. Uh huh. But yeah, you lose Reese James. Obviously, there's nothing you can do about that. They actually started four center backs: Cole, Will, Batty, Shield, Tiago Silva, and Axel Lasasi across the back line. So pretty risky going forward. Ended up paying off for Chelsea in the end. Um, I did say Moise Mois- Caicedo would find his way back into this team, and he did. Um, again, I like that Sterling, Gallagher, Jackson, Jackson especially, although he hasn't been fantastic this season. I I do like that they're kind of sticking with him and not switching to Broha because I think that switching to Broha, even though Broha probably finishes more of the chances that that Nicholas Jackson gets, I think that building that chemistry with Nicholas Jackson will pay off in the long run. I know you're replacing him with Nkunku at some point probably, but I, I do mm. agree with the decision to keep him there. Um, but yeah, you can just see it every single week. They kind of just grow a little bit more accustomed to each other and the style of play that they should be playing. And it just looks like less of 11 individuals, 11 individual young players who just joined the club within the last two years, nonetheless, and more of a well-rounded football team, which is nice to see because it's been a while for this team. Um, Brighton, on the other hand, I, you know, we always say, oh, they like have this like ornate ability to like rebound from all these injuries and all these uh, player sales. But we do need to look at the football at some point and say like, it is inevitable that this team will decline with all the injuries that they've had. Um, Ferguson started off red hot. His form has dropped. Um, but losing Matoma is, you know, Dinger's great, but Matoma is a one-of-a-kind player in the Premier League. Um, they're starting Adam Alana at the center attacking mid spot. That is not how you win football games. I'm sorry. It hasn't been the way you won football games for the last five years for Adam Alana. No offense to Adam Lallana, but he's a bit past his prime, and he should not be spearheading honestly, midfield. Honestly, I'm not taking this Adam Lallana slander. I mean, he was, <laughs> he was great last season. I mean, there, there's no reason. It's just, I, I, it's I know, just not where you want to be. I should be declining, but, yeah. it's, but listen, it's you just, know. Yeah. No, I, I get And same thing with James Milner for last year. Like, sure. Will James Milner get you a couple of 90 minutes in December when you need him to? Sure. But if he's spearheading your midfield for long periods of time, that could be an issue. And I think that these injuries are starting to add up. Loss of Solly Marsh. Uh, Pascal Gross is not in this team anymore. Um, Estupinon's injured. Uh, Lamptey's injured. It's, it it kind of piles up for uh, Brighton. And Matoma's coming back, which is nice. Gross is coming back, which is nice. I think we should start to see their form pick up a little bit. Um... But, you know, then, then comes January, and who the hell do they lose in January? So, yeah, if you're Brighton, you want to pick up as many points as you can now before you start to lose some of your players maybe in January. Um, but I do think that things are looking up for Brighton, and I can't imagine that this spell will last much longer. Yeah, yeah, I, I do agree there. I also want to briefly give credit to Chelsea, and more specifically, uh, like you said, Maurizio Pochettino. I think his in-game uh, decisions here were really good. Um, he did make the bold move to start Mudrick over Palmer, and, um, and I looked into it, and it didn't seem like Palmer was injured at all, so it did seem like a tactical decision. And Mudrick, to be fair, did win that penalty. In my opinion, not a penalty. <laughs> um, I mean, we could talk about that for a second, um, because I think this is a just peak case of over-refereeing here. Very, very debatable um, decision. Very subjective. Really, really tough. Can see it going both ways. It's one where you just stick with the call on the field, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So, I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll leave it at that for now. But Mudrick did make his impact on the game. And then uh, Pochettino brought on Cole Palmer to shore up that midfield, which was really erratic this game obviously Enzo played very well but obviously Gallagher getting sent off and Caicedo probably lucky not to get a second yellow in this game he played very both him and Enzo played very reckless despite the fact that they were on yellow so honestly Chelsea were probably lucky to be uh not down to nine men and I think Cole Palmer just gave some reassurance in that midfield also made the decision of bringing on uh Ian Matson for Nicholas Jackson after Matoma came on because Disasi desperately needed help against Matoma, and Pochettino saw that right away. So just really good in-game managerial decisions from Pochettino that helped Chelsea see this out. So just mm-hmm. wanted to give him some credit there. Sure. 
we move swiftly along to Liverpool 4, Fulham 3. This up there with the 4-4 for game of the season. And you could make the argument, considering the quality of goals that were scored in this game, that it is on par, if not above that 4-4. As great as that 4-4 was. We take you through it as it happened. Starting off with a what was marked as a Burn Lano own goal in the 20th minute, but I, it's tough to take credit away from Trent Alexander-Arnold for that strike from every bit of like 27 yards. Um, curled it right off the bar. Unfortunately, that it came off Lano, but a couple inches under, and it's off the bar and in. A superb strike from Trent Alexander-Arnold. Uh, Harry Wilson swiftly replies in the 24th. Was he a former Liverpool player? Yes, he was. Yes, that's why his celebration was so muted, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our second banger of the game was Alexis McAllister from the parking lot in the 38th yeah. minute. Just an unbelievable strike. He has no business cocking back his left foot from there, and he absolutely unleashed. And there's basically, it's rare that a keeper has nothing to do from 30 yards, and Leno had nothing to do from 30 yards. And to be fair, Leno got pretty close to that, considering yeah. how good of a strike that was, which yeah. just, just goes to show how like perfect it was. Like No yeah. goalkeeper could have done anything about that. The second equalizer would come in the 45th plus three from Kenny Tete, originally called offside, but then upon replay, pretty clearly onside. Kenny Tete's first goal of the season makes it 2-2. A lull, if you can call it that, for the, next, for the first 30, 35 minutes of the second half. And then in the 80th minute, Bobby Descartes over Reed makes it 3-2 Fulham with just 10 plus extra time to play. Backs against the wall for Liverpool in the 87th. Substitute what? I know his last name's Endo. I think it's Wataru. Wataru Endo. Mm-hmm. Um, the new transfer, I would say damn near emergency transfer because they needed a, yeah. a center defensive mid. Um, and substitute in this game with another fantastic strike in the 87th minute to tie the game and no more than one minute later, Trent Alexander-Arnold finds the ball in the box off a deflection and rifles one home on Leno's right to make it 4-3 just a minute after Endo's 87-minute equalizer and that's how it would end, 4-3 at Anfield. This one takes Liverpool just two points behind league leaders Arsenal, one point above a, a Manchester City team that would draw later that day. And Fulham, despite a more than valiant effort at Anfield of all places, dropped to 14th and are now tied with Wolves in 13th on 15. But what a game this was, Ethan. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those games where you don't really look into the tactics too much and you just say, wow, <laughs> just what an entertaining game. Um, Very smash and grab from Fulham. Honestly, they were pretty freaking clinical in this game if you think about it they really did not have many chances and they took them very well they were very uh opportune in the box i mean harry wilson just finding the space in between two defenders and just getting his foot on the cross um kenny tete just being right place right time for the go-ahead goal even tim ream was narrowly um offside for his disallowed goal in the box um, and then Dick Ordover Reed just absolutely dunking on uh Simicast for the go ahead goal. So can't really fault Fulham too much here. I mean, they absorbed a lot of pressure from Liverpool, understandably so. Uh, and they just kind of fell apart at the end. But they they really did a lot here. Uh, but yeah, when the team you're playing against is producing strikes like Liverpool did on this day. Not an awful lot you can do. I mean, Alexander-Arnold, the fact that he's produced both those goals, well, for the sake of this, we'll give him credit for that strike. Uh, If not the actual, you know, goal credit. Uh, But yeah, that's now three goals in two games for him. All three of those goals have been very crucial uh, for the result. And, I mean... And Alexander Arnold is on his best form. He really is a joy to watch. I mean, last yeah. season or two, 
Uh, he's probably struggled a bit for that consistency, mm-hmm. but yeah, at his peak, no other fullback in the world touches him in terms sure. of you know the impact he can have on the game. Yeah, and I this is I think a lot of credit needs to be given to Jurgen Klopp because it seems simple to move a player who's not a good defender out of defense. Um, but they also they also need to learn. Like I have no idea what positions he played in the academies, but I my guess is he was mostly a fullback. But to move a player into the midfield from right back is very difficult. It doesn't happen very often. Um, you know, Kimmich is the only one I could think of ever, really ever that has done that. I know that you know inverted wingbacks, Mikel Arteta, whatever you want to do. Sure, they're midfielders, but they're you know they play in the back. Going from midfield to left back, midfield to right back, that's different because. You, you don't need as much awareness. It's not as much of a mental change-up when you're switching those positions. But Trent has taken all those challenges in stride and some, and he is right now one of the catalysts for Liverpool's title charge, which is what it is. Um, will he still be a liability defensively? Sure. But so are a lot of players in the Premier League. And there are a lot of players. Bernardo Silva is a defensive liability too. But he won the Premier League three times in a row and was one of their best players all three years. So it, well, it's Bernardo okay to Silva's have some not flow. Playing. Well, I shouldn't say Bernardo Silva is not playing right back. Because sometimes he sometimes Pep puts him at left back just for shits and giggles. Is, and Trent usually, left, is Trent's not playing right back? Is he? I mean, defensively he's playing right back. Maybe in possession he's higher up the field. But... But he's not, uh, he scored, you know, sticking at yeah. center mid for the entire game. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, to be fair, Bernardo Silva usually puts in some of his best performances when he's at left back. So, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure about oh. that day. Um, either way, I think Klopp deserves a lot of credit for not just the Trent Alexander-Arnold situation. Um, this team had a pretty poor start to last season and came out this season fiery hot. The attack he's been patient with. And it's come through for him. Mo Salah has been patient with. He's been patient with Mo Salah, but he has come through for him as well. Um, the midfield was questionable to start the season. A lot of pundits saying that it was a little too attack-minded. The Slabislai, McAllister, take your pick. Because Raven, Birch, uh, whoever you want to put there. Uh Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott, that just a little too attack minded and would struggle defensively, which, you know, hasn't been their defensive mid defensive part of the midfield hasn't been their strongest. However, they have more than made up for it on the attacking end, and the signings of Slavoslai have only furthered that. So a lot of credit given to Klopp for both the signing of Slavoslai and the way he's organized this team so far. Any more about Liverpool, Fulham? Or would you like to move on to the uh, the three three? Yeah, let, let's let's start talking about the game of the week. To right. be completely honest, <laughs> Manchester City three, Tottenham Hotspur three. Who would have thought? <laughs> I I would have thought. I said there was going to be some crazy shit. Um, <laughs> and we'll take you through it as it happened. It started off very quickly. No time to lose. If you were late to the game, sucks to be you. Sung Hyungman Son makes it one nothing in just a six minute. I think it was the first time the ball crossed midfield for Tottenham Hotspur. Didn't matter to them though. They were up one nothing, and you know what? I feel like Spurs always go up one nothing in these games. Honestly, they should just score uh, the when, goal and get it when, out of the way. When the goal went in, like <laughs> just zero like emotion, just because I I saw the ball going in, I'm like. This just makes so much sense. Right. Yeah. I feel like this was, was by far the most likely <laughs> like yeah. occurrence to start the game. Yeah. Sun goal in the first 10 minutes. All right, that's out of the way. Yeah, now we can play soccer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, not only did Sun get one goal in the first 10 minutes, he got two goals in the first 10 minutes. Unfortunately, they were on separate ends of the field. A Hyungman Sun own goal makes it 1-1 in the ninth minute. Phil Foden would then make it 2-1 with a pretty swift Man City-esque You'd think Man City put together a Man City-esque goal in the 31st minute. Phil Foden's the one who puts it home. Uh, that's how it would go into halftime to one. Out of halftime, chances are traded, mostly for City. But Giovanni Lacelso comes off the other end and whips one in off his left foot, off Ederson's right post. 
and it's 2-2, just like that, at the Etihad. To this point, it was that it seemed like pretty smash and grab to even be at 2-2, because City had controlled a lot of the chances, a lot of the XG, Holland probably letting his team down a little bit with, by his standards, I should say, um, with some misses, probably could have put the game away at some point, not just him, some other chances as well, Phil Foden. But we go on 2-2. In the 81st minute, Drac Grealish, his first goal in quite a while. I can't imagine. I, I don't know exactly how long it's been, but it, it's been since, a while. Not just because. Since April. Since April. There you go. That goal and against not uh, just Liverpool. Because of, uh, yeah, not just because he's not necessarily a true goal scorer for this team, but also his spot has been taken by uh, Jeremy Doku of recent weeks. Um, nonetheless, he would make it 3-2 in the 81st. and. A lot of fans, including myself, probably thought that would do it. And said, not so fast. Dayan Kulusevsky gets up and bullies Nathan Ake <laughs> in the 90th minute. A header-shoulder combination that would loop over Ederson's head off the bar and in. By some miracle, this game is tied again. And that's how it would end 3-3. A brutal result for City. I guess I shouldn't end it right there because... The controversy had yet to come in this game. A 3-3, relatively referee, you know, hands-free. Um, but we just had to slip one in there just because, you know, why not? We, it, the whole weekend had gone by, and maybe we, we'd avoided a lot of VAR controversy. It, was, it wasn't even VAR. A lot of PGMOL controversy. Just slipped it in there right at the buzzer. <laughs> um, I don't know who played the ball, but Jack Grealish is hanging on the shoulder. The ball is played over to Jack Grealish after a foul that was given advantage. And for some reason, once the ball was played and Jack Grealish was in, they blew it back for a foul in the midfield. Is there any real explanation for this or is this just a complete slip up from Simon Hooper? Um, yeah, honestly, one of the most inexplicable calls I've ever seen from a referee. because. There, I genuinely can't think of any explanation for why he blew his whistle. Because it wasn't like he failed to play the advantage and just screwed that up. Because we've seen that before, where he just doesn't let the play develop. He clearly signals yeah. for the advantage. And then, yes. quite literally, the instant that it becomes <laughs> a clear goal-scoring opportunity, he blows his whistle. Yeah. Um, I don't know if maybe somehow he thought that the ball was like grossly overplayed, and that Grealish yeah. wouldn't get on the end of it. That's yeah. my only possible explanation. Or that he, he didn't just see had. Grealish, or yeah, some, I don't know. The, the explanation is yeah. that he didn't see. Obviously, not. Yes, I would assume obviously he did not see that Jack Grealish was in on goal. If he did, he would mm -hmm. not have blown his whistle. So maybe some kind of obstruction from players, some kind of you know misjudgment of where the ball was in relation to Grealish. I don't know. The whole crowd was roaring. The it was it was it's easy to tell from, you know, a thousand feet up or wherever the camera's sitting where we're watching from back in uh in the States, but yeah, I don't know. It's a it's an oopsie, it's for sure. Yeah, but I think where even more of the controversy lies will be in whether or not any action is taken against Holland slash Manchester oh, yeah. City. For their uh, reactions to the decision. Because understandably. The Man City players were not too happy with this. All of them surrounding the referee. Holland who. Was the subject of the foul. That was initially played advantage. Was absolutely. Incensed. He was screaming at Simon Hooper. After the game. He told him to fuck off. As he was walking off the field. Of course he. <laughs> Posted that WTF tweet, yeah. Uh, after the game, uh, all of, in my opinion, all of this very understandable reaction. Absolutely, couldn't say I wouldn't do the same thing myself. However, <laughs> I do think that this kind of behavior should be punished to a certain extent because. No matter how bad referees are, there is a line that has to be drawn, regardless yep. of how poor the decision is. Um, because you, you just simply can't abuse referees. You can 
criticize them, but you can't abuse them. And quite simply, they abuse Simon Hooper. Again, <laughs> understandably so, but life sucks. You kind of just have to follow it and take out your yep. frustration elsewhere. It's easy to say. It's Much easy to say, not easy to do. do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's talk about this Tottenham Hotspur team for a second. Battered and bruised, they used a combination of sheer will and City versus Tottenham Hotspur magic, is the way I would put it, to just get it over the line and pretty much just get it over the line uh, for a 3-3 draw. But again, like, if looking back on predictions... If you were to listen to your clip again on predictions, you're probably like, what the hell was I thinking? Of course this wasn't going to be a normal Manchester City <laughs> victory. All the odds are against the uh, Tottenham. They're going into the Etihad. Of course they were going to pull some surprise result out of that. Like it, it just seems too obvious from what we've seen from Tottenham in general and this Ange team that has surprised early in the season. Yes, without a couple of key players, but... Yeah, Ange, say what you want about his tactics. They work a lot of the time. They miss sometimes, but he is a man of his word. They played a very high-pressing style of football against one of the best press-break teams in the world, and they came out of there with a point in a game they should not have gotten a point out of before the game. You know, personnel v. personnel. Yeah, no, absolutely, you have to credit. Um... And right now, the thing, the thing with Angeball right now, because it is so, you know, new for Tottenham, is that this is a type of result that can happen. And then you look at the 4-1, uh, you know, result against Chelsea. Obviously, they were down to nine men in that game, but it also shows how it can backfire. And that's just the volatility of the tactics right now, just because it is imperfect. Mm-hmm. Postacoglu is gonna looks like he's gonna be there for the long haul, and his style of play is not going anywhere. And the longer he's there, the more it will be perfected, and the more consistent it will be. So for right now, you can expect it to really pay off in games like this, and be disastrous in other games. Because to be fair, City missed a lot of good chances. Holland missed. An absolutely open net. I mean, he was shouting mm-hmm. at yeah. Simon Hooper for his god-awful mistake, but you didn't see Simon Hooper shouting at Holland yeah. after <laughs> that miss. So, Fair point. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Spurs team, this is the way they're going to play. It's going to produce some great wins, some bad losses, but no matter what, it will produce entertainment. And that's all that's all a neutral can really care about even though i guess i'm not technically <laughs> neutral since you know i'm pretty much always rooting against them except in this game yeah. but <laughs> yeah um but yeah manchester city three draws on the spin i you probably go back quite a few years since they've even dropped three points in three consecutive games let alone uh three draws um is this a dip in form for man city it's tough to say that they ever dip in form because they always look so good doing it. But <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, results are what matters. And this is uh, not something you can do in the Premier League. Maybe something Man City can afford to do, but dropping six points in three games is it's difficult to rebound from. It's not impossible. And certainly for Man City, it, you know, it's not even necessarily hard, um, but it is difficult still to rebound from especially when you're chasing a title, especially in the form that both Liverpool and Arsenal are on right now. Um, Again, I'll say it again. I'll say it the same thing I did last week. Uh, Kevin De Bruyne is coming back pretty soon. I think just after the new year, probably like three games or so. And, you know, should City's form, poor form, quote unquote, poor, poor form continue. um, That will certainly be a huge boost for them and pick them right back up to the ruthless team that they are going to be, let's be honest. Uh, let's move swiftly along to the rest of the Match Week 14 coverage. Some scores from around the ground. Starting off with Brentford 3, Luton Town 1, 3 points for the Bees. Neil Mopay, Neil Mopay 
don't know why I said that with an accent. Neil Mope <laughs> in the 49th. Uh, ben Mee in the 56th. Let me just say, uh, I don't know why I was watching this Brentford game, but at some point I was. And whenever the commentator says, like, Ben Mee does something, it's, uh, it's they say, like, me with a great header and it's just like funny every <laughs> single time it's like <laughs> yeah it never fails. oh it's a terrible <laughs> miss from me it's like oh it's, like, a, it's just so funny bro thinks he's playing like <laughs> yeah <laughs> he thinks he's on the team um i'd just like to point that out probably my favorite part of all brentford games um but yes ben me gets his goal in the 56th minute uh jacob brown gets a goal for Lutton town in the 76th it would be a consolation as Shandon Bap Shandon is a first name I have not seen before. Shandon Baptiste in the 81st minute um makes it 3-1, three, 3 points to the Bees. They sit 11th on 19, tied with Chelsea in 10th, also on 19. Luton Town creeping up back towards that relegation zone. They are now on 9 points, just 2 points above Everton and Burnley who are in 18th and 19th respectively. Arsenal 2, Wolverhampton Wanderers 1, Bukayo Saka in the 6th. Martin Odegaard in the 13th, two pretty fantastic goals if you didn't get the chance to see them. Uh, not necessarily for individual play, but it's just Arsenal at their best. Um, obviously, it was not going to be an easy win for Arsenal at the Emirates, as it's rarely been this year in all competitions. Uh, Mateus Cunha would make it 2-1 in the 86th, and then some squeaky bum at the end. Nonetheless, Arsenal take three. They move two points clear of Liverpool in first place in the Premier League. Wolverhampton Wanderers, on the other hand, dropped to 13th, tied with Fulham, who are also on 15th, in 14th place. Burnley, 5. Sheffield United, 0. So bad a performance that they gave their manager the boot. And who's coming back in? It's Chris, Chris Wilder, Wilder, everybody. <laughs> Couldn't stay away. Chris Wilder will get the task of trying to bring Sheffield out of the rut that they currently find themselves in. And boy, do they got some work to do. Jay Rodriguez in the very first minute. Uh, Jacob Brun Larsen in the 29th. Zeki Amudini in the 73rd. Luca Calioso in the 75th. I believe an American? Yeah. And then Joshua Brownhill, the captain, in the 80th minute. Ollie McBurney would find a red card just on the stroke of halftime. In the end, wouldn't have made a difference either way. Likely. Burnley for the time being, move into 19th. This one was a well and true six-pointer at the bottom of the table. Uh, Burnley move out of the bottom of the table into 19th. They leapfrog Sheffield. Sheffield shoved down into 20th, now on five points. Chris Wilder has his work cut out for him. Nottingham Forest nil. Everton won a Dwight McNeil 70, 67th minute winner. Uh, pretty sweet strike at that. I mean... Don't give Dwight McNeil his left foot. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> um, sees Everton. Not, well, they will not go silently into the night. Three wins from their last five. They are scratching and clawing their way back from this 10-point deficit that has yet to be overturned. Should it be overturned um, at all? Um, but they are on seven points, in quotations, 17 points, uh, potentially, um, and sit 18th. Two points away from Luton Town and safety. Nottingham Forest dropped to 15th. Uh, they're on 13, tied with Bournemouth in 16th. Newcastle won. Manchester United, nil. A result that honestly seemed all too likely in the end, especially with the way the game went. Um, Anthony Gordon, who else right now? Anthony Gordon in the 55th. Seals all three points for the Toon Army at home. And... Manchester United's, I shouldn't say woes continue, because honestly, as bad as they've looked, as okay as they've looked, I should say, in the league, they'd won three of their last three before this game, um, and now sit seventh of all places. You know, it could definitely be worse, but uh, the way the game went, they were probably second best. Newcastle jump United to go sixth on 26th. United dropped to seventh on 24, two points above Brighton in eighth. Do want to point out? I did predict this uh, Newcastle one no win. So there you go. We got a prediction. <laughs> perfect two man wall. Perfect prediction. <laughs> West Ham one, Crystal Palace one. The points are shared in London. Mohamed Kudus, shout out Mohamed Kudus. He is finding form recently. 
in the 13th, and then Hudson Edward, silently one of the better strikers in the Premier League this season. I, I don't know how many goals he's got, but it's got to be at least like six or seven. Um, and for Crystal Palace team that is probably led scoring-wise by the Elises and the Eze's of the world, especially IU's been there. He takes, I don't even know if he takes penalties, might take penalties. Um, Edward's been pretty good. Want to shout out mm-hmm. Edward. This will put West Ham in ninth on 21, two points above Chelsea in 10th. Crystal Palace in 12th on 16, one point above Wolves in 13th. And last but not least, Bournemouth 2, Aston Villa 2. Really a tale of home ground versus away ground for Aston Villa right now. Very dominant at home, very sketchy on the road. Uh, Antoine Semenyo in the 10th minute. Uh, sorry, guys. I, there's just some names I haven't seen before, and I'm sorry about that. Um, Leon Bailey with a great strike from his left foot. Uh, in the 20th, Dominic Solanke, who's been Bournemouth's catalyst offensively this season, in the 52nd, puts the home team in front. But Ollie Watkins with one of the goals of the weekend, and that's impressive to say that this weekend, certainly. Um, this is a pretty ridiculous header, all things considered. Um, he comes on and gets the equalizer. Doesn't come on, he started. Uh Nonetheless, he gets the equalizer, and that's how it would finish at the, <clears throat> at the Vitality Stadium. 2-2 is the final. Aston Villa stay in fourth. They are two points above Tottenham Hotspur in 27th. Bournemouth in 16th. Four points above Luton Town in 17th. And six points above Everton and Burnley for Premier League safety. And that rounds out Match Week 14. Let's move swiftly along to some Match Week 15 coverage. We got four matches to predict this week. Um, let's do a, let's do a rapid fire here. Are you ready? You get 10 seconds to explain your prediction. Manchester United, Chelsea at Old Trafford. Ethan, what do you got? Two double match week, which is why we got four predictions. Uh, United two, Chelsea two. Uh, Chelsea games seem to produce goals. Really can't come up with a reason for either team to win this just because of their volatility. I mean, like, I'm tempted to even go nil-nil, but I just don't think either team has the defense to really produce a clean sheet right now. Uh, certainly not the goalkeeping. Um, so... Uh, I just feel like this game is going to kickstart one of their seasons, you know? Like, I could just see a Marcus Rashford 89th minute winner, and it just, like, catapults them into some kind of form, you know? So I'm going to say 3-2, and I'm going to say exactly that. Marcus Rashford, 88th minute win it, winner, should he even make it be on the field at that point. Aston Villa, Manchester City, at Villa Park. Ethan, what do you got? I'm going to go Aston Villa 1, Manchester City 1. Still, I think City will once again fail to collect all three points. Villa's form at home has been perfect this season. Six wins from six. I think 12 straight home wins in the Premier League is their current streak. Uh, yeah, City are still City. They're great, but they're playing a phenomenal home team. And I just think the atmosphere is going to be great at Villa Park, and once again, yeah. they'll fail to get it done. Um, I'm going to go 2-1 Villa. I think Villa gets it done at home. Uh, City, right now, off form is a, a unique term with City, it really doesn't mean off form. It really just means off their game. And that's what they are right now. They're off their game. Off their, you know, in the final third at least. Uh, well, I say that and they scored three goals last week. But um, I do think that Villa will be a force to be reckoned with against City at home. Again, the atmosphere at home this year has been great. They've put on some pretty nice performances. I think Villa give up the first goal, Erling Holland in like the 25th, and then two goals, one in like the 62nd, it'll be like Douglas Luiz penalty or something like that, and then like a Musa Diaby off a scramble in like the 85th, and that's how it went, 2-1. Turn it around, Aston Villa host Arsenal at the weekend. Ethan, what do you got? I'm going to go... Aston Villa 2, Arsenal 1. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, again, Aston Villa's home form just been 
really, really good. And Arsenal away from home, they just, they've gotten results, which is great, but they really haven't convinced. Three out of their four wins away from home this season have been one no victories. And then you look at the performances against Chelsea away from home, against Newcastle away from home. Uh, I really am not confident that Arsenal have proven themselves enough away from home this season to get a win against such a formidable home side. So, yeah, I think they're going to take the L here, unfortunately. I'm going to say 2-2. Two, two. I think they, they won up City's results from the weekend. Uh, some from the midweek, I should say. Um, I agree. I think Arsenal are just playing really well right now. That even when they go away from home and don't have that exact, uh, you know, finishing touch and, you know, magic that they have had at home this year, I still think that they will be able to get a result. I think they might be lucky to get a 2-2 and Villa might have a couple chances to win at some point. But I think that it will end up being a draw at the end of the day. 2-2. And last but not least, Newcastle go to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium to play Tottenham Hotspur at the weekend. Ethan, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to go Spurs 2, Newcastle 0. Having Romero back for Spurs is going to be a huge help for them defensively. And I think back at home, uh, vibes will be good after getting a result at the Etihad. And this Newcastle squad is still somewhat depleted, getting some players back. Uh, but yeah, I think just really a gut feeling here. Newcastle is going to have an off day. Honestly, hard to predict a clean sheet with uh, Ange Ball against a side uh, as good attacking as Newcastle. but. Uh, Again, just you know, gut prediction here. I'm gonna go with. Hmm. I I love predicting nil nils, but I have no reason to for any of these games, because none of them feel like they're going to be defensive. No, just defensively sound football matches at all. Maybe it's just the the voodoo that's been going on in the Premier League this year. I don't know. But I, I don't see how... I don't think that there's one of these teams that definitively should win this game. Because Newcastle are hurting, Spurs are hurting, maybe both of even strength. Spurs probably have an edge. But they're both hurting right now and both you know scrambling to make up consistent 11s, consistently good 11s. But football is football and it could go either way. I think it's going to go towards the home team. I'll say 2-1. And with that, we'll move on to our final segment of the podcast. And it's the return of Irrelevant 11s. If you don't know what Irrelevant 11s is, it's a, it's a se- final segment that we have not gone back to in a while. Um, we basically just make football 11s out of things that definitely shouldn't be football 11s. We've done presidents in the past. We've done food mascots in the past. I had Hamburger Helper as my primary assist maker in my team at one point we've got we've been all over the map but today we're going with musical artists past or present is the way i did it i don't know if he just did present but i did past and present i did past him i thought about his past and present i don't know how many past artists i really have in here but Uh Mm -hmm. past meaning like not currently living Mm -hmm. yes um ethan can take it away first all right, so um, going with four two three one formation here, uh, which I I feel like I typically do for this, and starting in goal we have Billy Joel. Shout out to mom. Uh, sure. <laughs> think of goalkeepers, you think of longevity, and that's certainly the case of Billy Joel. He's been, you know, still still performing concerts, not releasing new music, but. Mm-hmm. Still out there doing his thing for... Oh, he's going hard. I don't, I don't know how many years. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, uh, think of you know, the most iconic goalkeepers, uh, Gianluigi Buffon, 
Manuel Noir, Iker Casillas, all big one club men. People have been at one club for, you know, at least a decade. And Billy Joel, you can think of him as a one club man uh, performing at uh, Madison Square Garden, you know, so consistently. So Billy Joel going in at goalkeeper. Then for center backs, I have Blake Shelton and Luke Bryan. Um, you know, for center backs, I was thinking, you know, you want a Brexit, you know, player in there. But mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what kind of music is like purely like British that would equate to Brexit. So uh-huh. I had to do a bit, you know, bit of analogy here. Uh I figured what's the American version of Brexit? Well, I guess it's, you know, redneck. Uh <laughs> would be my best guess and maybe this is just like very much generalizing, but I just figured redneck country music. <laughs> I'm just going to pick out two country music artists. So Blake Shelton and Luke Bryan are probably the two only, probably the only two current country music artists I could name. Uh, mm. so yeah, just two. That makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> just two freedom loving, God fearing Americans, <laughs> just serving strikers, piling heaps of freedom. Sure. Uh, <laughs> then for <laughs> for fullbacks, I got Justin Timberlake. And Donald Glover slash Childish Gambino. Uh, again, I think you may have used Childish Gambino in another one of these. It's, I it's can't possible. Remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, either way, uh, for these irrelevant 11s, fullbacks, I always choose versatile players because, you know, fullbacks in the modern game have to be versatile. So both Justin Timberlake and Donald Glover are both musicians and actors. Uh, Donald Glover, even a comedian himself, uh, just very, uh, these guys just got a lot of range, can work in multiple positions, perfect for the fullback mm-hmm. position. Then, uh, two holding midfielders, we got a number six and a number eight. Uh, as my six, I'm going with uh, Steve Lacey, just a bit mm-hmm. of a smooth operator here, kind of a Busquets pro player, uh, pro player mm-hmm. comp. Uh, just creative, reliable, composed, just... Just like a smooth operator. That, that's just, you know, what I think of with Steve Lacey. Then with my number, as my number eight, I got uh, Mac Miller. Also a bit of a smooth operator, but, you know, can up the intensity a bit too. Mm-hmm. Uh, slightly more versatile, like a box-to-box eight. Similar to Rice's role at Arsenal, I'd say. Uh, so that completes the holding midfield mm-hmm. there. And then... In the number 10 slot, my center attacking mid, I have 21 Savage, uh, mm. who is really just an assist machine. I mean, his music is good on its own, but his features just knock it out of the park every time. I mean, honestly, one of the best feature artists out there currently, sure. in my opinion. Sure. So, pretty much the ozil of the music industry. <laughs> uh, then for my wingers, I've got... Eminem and J. Cole, both uh, very fast rappers uh, and also just very creative, uh, very great freestyles. You know, defenders think, you know, they've got them cornered and, you know, they can get out of it like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, just good traits overall for wingers. And then for my striker, uh, I have Drake, just a very prominent, sure. consistent artist. I thought about that too. Just you know reliable number 9 uh also uh very good with uh features as well so a bit of an assist man as well uh well-rounded number 9 to lead the attack sure good 11 solid logic all right um <clears throat> my turn in goal as is tradition with these goalkeeper spots i looked up who the tallest goalkeepers were <laughs> or tallest of this category, whatever category mm. it was, were I had Green Giant for the uh, for the food mascots <laughs> one, unsurprisingly. Um, this time I went with Two Chains. He is six five. Nice. It was between Two Chains and Calvin Harris. Calvin Harris, longer, more Courtois like, but I went with the more, mm. you know, and more of an enforcer. And the wingbacks. Left back, I went Bruce Springsteen for work rate. Just up and down the flank. He is one of the hardest working musicians in the industry. 
he goes 100 miles an hour all the time on albums and certainly during his his heyday um but he tours the country nonstop and is his shows are nonstop and he is one of the hardest working musicians in the industry and I write back about with Drake because nobody I and I had him with the Philip Lom pro pro comp because nobody's mm-hmm. disputing his greatness greatness but he has settled for you know a certain kind of role in the music industry in the back part of his career, that role being right back for Philip Lom. And that's why I have gone with Drake at right back. With my center back pair, I went with some chemistry here. And you'll probably notice a theme. Uh, Wiz mm. Khalifa and Snoop Dogg. Uh-huh. Two uh, ambassadors of the devil's lettuce, should I say. And what does mm-hmm. that do for you on the football field? It calms you down. When you're a center back, you need that calm presence, right? That Van Dyke aura. And these two, not only do they have chemistry with each other through music and through the leaf, but they <laughs> are calm and calm under pressure. And that's what I want, especially when I'm playing out of the back with this team. Willie Nelson snubbed here. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Willie, Willie Nelson is like the emergency, like Johnny Evans center back in this in this. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> this duo um, and then we move into the midfield and the midfield it's unbelievably fluid probably more fluid than you pr- want your midfield to be I went with three players that are similar in a lot of senses and that they are creators and their names are DJ Khaled at the 6 Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart at the 8 and then Benny Blanco at the 10 they are all producers, all music creators, all incredibly creative individuals. Some of the greatest of their times. DJ Khaled at the six, probably because of mobility issues, will be a mobility issue wherever he played. I think we could work past that at some point. Um, he is also the captain of this team, for obvious reasons. Um, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, no explanation needed here. One of the all-time great... Uh, artists and has gotten compared to modern day footballers as well <laughs> i believe it was either thomas rosiski or luka modric that is called little mozart <laughs> i think it's thomas rosiski yeah and then benny blanco one of the greatest producers of the modern era at the 10 can't really ask for much more also links with a few of the guys in the front line having uh mozart and Col- and dj call in the same midfield is basically like uh Chiumenia Modric in terms of like age <laughs> gap <laughs> yeah no Kemavinga yeah or yeah or Kemavinga <laughs> um yeah no yeah I mean sometimes you got a shepherd in the the youth yeah and then for the front line at left wing we've got Taylor Swift and she is essentially the Ronaldo of the music industry is she the greatest musician in the world probably not but she is goddamn the most popular one. And if you didn't know any better, you'd think she was the best musician in the world. She may very well be the best musician in the world. That's very opinionated. But when you got her coming off the left, you know what you're getting game in and game out. Banger after banger after banger after hit after hit after hit. She is the first name on the team sheet every week. Taylor Swift at left wing. At right wing, we got Playboy Cardi for pure energy and chaos. You, there's really nothing. It's the Jeremy Doku of the team. He gets the ball and you're praying that he doesn't get around you because it's really up to him and not up to you. He is so quick. He is so much energy and he goes all 90 minutes. You can't take him off the field. Playboy Cardi at right wing. And at striker, it's Frank Ocean because he's amazing when he's healthy, but he's absent for long periods of time. And that goes for a lot of strikers in the modern era. Mm-hmm. That's really all I have to say about Frank Ocean. Also, yeah, incredible artist. Yeah, but that's my team, all eleven. No, great, great team. I think that's a really, uh, really nice midfield and uh, center back pairing there. Thank you. I Thank think, you. I think that's the chemistry there. Uh, is very good. Although maybe Wolfgang, uh, or maybe uh, Mozart and uh, uh, Khaled. Uh, may need a bit of time to develop sure. the chem there, and but. it's it could it's gonna be ugly for the first couple of weeks, but mm-hmm. I feel like eventually 
they'll grow accustomed to each other. And with that, we'll round out the podcast for this week, match week 15 and 16 coming up because there's a midweek and then a weekend. We'll get both of those all on the way back round on Monday. Enjoy the football. Adios. See ya.